0: Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as anyone would suggest. Happy Thursday! Hopefully, you guys are spending time with your family and friends, watching the Moselle Open as well. Uh, I think there's another Open as well, Katsana maybe. Uh, again, it's not as say as big as say other tournaments, but again, hopefully, uh, you're watching some tennis as well. You know. Uh, because it's this is the period where it's a little bit over, uh, or a little bit like sort of uh, slow compared to other months. But again, we have a few topics that we can get into for today. We can obviously get into Daniel Craig uh, talking about James Bond and uh, why he believes that James Bond should only be played by a, uh, a particular person. Uh, we can also discuss Joy Reid going after Gabby Petito and uh, the media coverage uh, correlating to Gabby Petito we can discuss Beto O'Rourke running for Texas governor and just, you know, just how bad of an uh, idea that is. Uh, Andy Murray versus Ugo Humbert at the, uh, the Moselle Open that happened yesterday. Uh, and in terms of, you know, news within the tennis world, Andy Murray, Ugo Humbert, the Labor Cup, uh, Twitter account blocking people who shared his domestic abuse article. But where we'll start off today, will be on Roger Federer's comments on rehab post-surgery. So if you guys don't know, uh, around Monday, I would say, uh, basically, Roger Federer sat down uh, with the publication and basically aired out, not aired out, but gave his comments on his injury, on his surgery, and what the future of his career will be uh, afterwards. So, again, I'm just pulling up the quote here. He says, I'm feeling actually really good. Things are not as I hoped they would be, but I'm recovering well and the rehab is going really good, Federer, Federer told Eurosport. I've had no setbacks. I'm feeling strong and excited for what's to come. I wish I could be back on a tennis court as quick as possible, but I have to be patient. It's a slow period right now, and I gotta take it step by step. And so far, so good, I'm very happy. So this is the thing. First off, I bear's repeating. Uh, not bears repeating, but first off, I wanna say hopefully Roger Federer is doing well. You know, Hopefully he's doing well, hopefully he's getting better, hopefully his treatment and his surgery is doing him well. Uh, hopefully he's able to come back sooner than later because I think tennis needs it now more than ever just for somebody to be loved and admired and still being able to play. And even though he may not reach the heights that he did five, six years ago, the fact that he's still able to play and still play in a competent level, I think that's something that needs to be within the tennis world. And I think that's something that should be at least be congratulated because I think the the time that we have with Roger Federer is very uh, short. You know, I think now's the time to think about the future of the ten- of the tennis world without the big three, without Rafa Nadal, without Novak Djokovic, without uh, Roger Federer. And obviously, I think now's the time to really appreciate them because sooner than later, they all will retire. More so Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer than, say, Novak Djokovic. I still think Novak Djokovic has a good three, four years left. But... For Roger Federer and for Rafael Nadal, I think now is the time to really start appreciating them and really start to admire them for what they've done on the court. Because at some point in time, whether it's a year now from now or two years from now, they're going to retire and it's going to be a massive, massive hit to the tennis world. And I think now is the time where we just sort of, you know, be appreciative of what they've given to us on the court and what they've had to sacrifice uh, just to be able to succeed and you know when you think of roger federer you know you think of a person who's you know first off the first word you think of roger federer the first word that comes to mind is elegance i mean the man has one of the most beautiful one hand backhands i've ever seen his poise his ability to sort of withstand the pressure and sort of focus on his opponent and and sort of make adjustments after each tiebreaker or after each changeover after each set all of that sort of compiles into a player that can really stand the test of time and really be viewed graciously in tennis lore. And, you know, that's something that not a lot of people can say. You know, when, when you have a person like Roger Federer, who's 39, 40 years of age, and when you think of a person post-surgery... Going into rehab, you think, okay, this person's done. This this person's career is over. I mean, you we've seen, we've heard the shanks. We've heard the Shanker memes and whatnot. But with Roger Federer, even though he's had surgery, you still know that he can still be able to at least progress to the quarterfinals or the semifinals. You know, I mean, I know it's wishful thinking to say semifinals, but he could, I mean, he reached the quarterfinals against Berrettini at Wimbledon. So the ability for him to at least make it to the top four or the final four, I think that's still a possibility for him. You know, despite all the surgeries, despite, you know, his knee and whatnot, the fact that he's able to at least make it to that sort of top eight or final eight, I mean, that's something that, you know, not many tennis players can say. So I, I think this is the time where, While we have Roger Federer, this is the time where we appreciate him, because at some point or another, he's going to retire, and it's going to be a massive hit to the sport. And regardless of whether you see him at an ATP 250 tournament or at an ATP 500 tournament or at a Grand Slam, just appreciate the small amount of time that you have with him, because he's going to retire, and it's going to be a major, major, major hit to the sport. Because there, believe me, there are people that are just that just say that they're Roger Federer fans, and they're they're only Roger Federer fans. You know, there are some people that say they're only Novak Djokovic fans. I mean, I've I've had my fair share of people that either love my videos because of my my videos on Novak Djokovic or just can't stand my videos because of my critique of Novak Djokovic. So I've known firsthand experience of Novak Djokovic fans going like going after me, either loving me or hating me for the videos I put. You know, so again, you have a lot of people that are just fans of one specific tennis player. And if that one specific tennis player is not playing in a major or has or out of out of the blue has decided to retire, best believe that those people will not be fans of that sport. You know, so again, I understand that this is like a cause of concern for tennis fans. Now, I want to say this is this is not to say that Zverev, Medvedev and Tsitsipas uh can do well. Obviously, they've been sufficient so far, but they can't hold a candle to them. I'm sorry. Like, like they can have respectable careers. Don't get me wrong. I think Sitsipas, Vera, Medvedev—they can win multiple majors. But to say that they can win twenty, as the big three has right now, that is wishful thinking. And and honestly, you may you may want to get your head checked out as well. For me, like when I look at Medvedevs, Vera, Sitsipas, I think they can win eight, maybe ten majors half of it, half of 20, but to say 20, no, 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 no. You are looking at the most dominant time in tennis. Um, Three great tennis players with 20 grand slams. Obviously, I would say the most dominant time was between like 2015, 2019. I mean, Andy Murray's 2016 run, uh, I think is up there as well. But, you know, you're looking at three of the best players of all time. 20 grand slams apiece. Medvedev has one major team has one major and Zverev and Tsitsipas are tied with zero they're tied at love so understand that this will never happen again like this i this belief that there will be a second coming of a Roger Federer or a Novak or a Rafa Nadal i mean best believe that you you are on something if you believe that best believe i want whatever you're having because it must be out of this world crazy like, but because at the end of the day, like, you have to appreciate greatness. And Zverev's Medvedev, Sizapas, while they are good players, and while they have the ability to get majors and and have iconic matches that can really uh, be remembered forever. I mean, best believe, like, believe me, like, Zverev has had a few matches where like it's pretty good where people will remember it. Sizapas the same thing. Medvedev the same thing to think that they'll they will be able to compete with a roger or a rafa and be competitive in that same field as getting like 20 majors or maybe subtract five out of it to get 15 majors i mean i think that's too much and you're putting too much pressure on these people that at the end of the day we know their capabilities we know how they can perform we know how they can succeed you know like again like i've said this in my previous podcast you know, Medvedev is great on the hardcourt. But he's not going to be Novak Djokovic on the hardcourt. Stefano Tsitsipas is great on clay. I mean, he's arguably the third best player on clay. I mean, look at the line open, look at Monte Carlo. But he can't hold a candle to the king of clay, which is Rafa Nadal. You know, Matteo Berrettini might be good on grass. But to think that he can win the same amount of majors as, say, Roger Federer did on grass... And deliver that many iconic matches as Roger Federer did on grass. I mean, that's that's pretty illogical, you know. Again, like understand that there is a big key of separation, a big degree of separation between these tennis players. And to think otherwise, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. So again, just keep that in mind uh, as Roger Federer goes into surgery because overall, um, I don't know I don't know what to tell you because overall you're gonna miss him. You know, Roger Federer has been a great ambassador to the sport of tennis. You know, I mean, the man has been... I mean, I know people that have met Roger Federer that are, that, that say Roger Federer is very kind. You know, same with Novak Djokovic. You know, I mean, but Roger Federer in particular, to have, like, two two decades of just iconic tennis. To the point where, like, Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi, again, like, they they're great players, don't get me wrong, but they had a time. And they weren't able to keep their body in check, you know two decades i mean he's going into his third decade of like winning of not winning majors but being in the atp circuit competitively so again like understand that this is like this is these this is a new discovery you know like the fact that he's able to like succeed after two decades of constant play i mean he's like defying age and time you know it's very similar to that of brady except brady uh is a machine for some reason he's he has a he has the ability to go to a twenty 0 season this year, but um, yeah, again, like understand, like Federer is a different kind, type of specimen, you know. When Andre Agassi, and again, there are stories that Andre Agassi would go to Taco Bell after you know playing tennis, you know. I mean, there are stories where he didn't actually enjoy uh playing tennis. Go go read Open by Andre Agassi. It's a great autobiography. Highly highly recommend you guys check it out. Um, you know, there are times where you know people say Pete Sampras. Uh, didn't really take care of his body that well. And as a result, it deteriorated uh, him. So again, like Roger Federer is doing something that no other tennis player has ever done before, which is be competent and be successful in his 40s. So I think that's something that people should take away from here. So again, just wanted to get my opinion out there on that. Just want to get my immediate thoughts on that. Uh, Let's move on to the next topic. This happened on Monday as well, or over the weekend. Um, I actually wanted to cover it on my Tuesdays pod, but I had... A little bit more important topics to discuss, and honestly, whenever you discuss domestic abuse, it's not the most cheerful. So uh, let's just get into it. Labor Cup Twitter account has decided to block people who decided to share Zverev's articles. So if you guys don't know Zverev, uh, Ben Rothenberg, actually, let's start from the beginning. Ben Rothenberg, great dude, uh, one of the best journalists in tennis right now. I used to call him Tennis TMZ, uh, but now he's really stepped up and and... I mean, he's always been a great journalist, obviously. Uh, that goes without saying, but he's really stepped it up over the past few months or so, ever since the US Open has started. So I want to give Ben Rothenberg his just due and his credit. Uh, ben Rothenberg, great dude. Check him out at the New York Times. Uh, so Ben Rothenberg tried to post this uh, Sasha Zverev domestic abuse article underneath the Labor Cup, like a tweet from the Labor Cup, and it's basically like a Labor Cup tweet about like Sasha Zverev and. Um, how he's ready for the Lyric Cup, which is happening in my home, tur- uh, home turf in Boston, Massachusetts at the TD Garden. Really want to check it out, but uh, unfortunately the tickets are, are they cost a pretty penny, just to say the least, and, uh, all, and I did spend my money, a lot of money, on Machine Gun Kelly tickets, so I'm a little bit broke on my end, so I, I, I can not go. I'm sorry, uh, but I would have loved to go, and I'm sure You know, Nick Kyrgios and all of those players that are performing and and are playing, I'm sure they'll give great performances there. Um, Nick Kyrgios loves the Labor Cup. I hear it's his favorite uh, tournament out of the abundant tournaments that are within the ATP schedule. Uh, But yeah, Ben Rothenberg decided to sort of reply to a Labor Cup tweet saying that Zverev has had domestic abuse allegations and how... This is a cause of concern for tennis, because obviously tennis is all about the class, the prestige, and to have anybody uh, to be accused of sexual misconduct is not a good thing. Uh, And Ben Rothenberg and many other Twitter accounts who decided to repost that under the Labor Cup tweet were blocked as a result of it. Uh, Ben Rothenberg decided to put it up on Reddit, and other users shared their experience of getting blocked uh, by the Labor Cup simply by reposting this article. And uh, here's my immediate thoughts on all the matter. I had some time to think about it and sort of put my thoughts together and collect my thoughts together. Here's the thing. If the allegations are true of Sasha Zverev, um, obviously he should be suspended. It's not a good look for the sport. If Ray Rice, if Tyreek Hill, if all these other players from the NFL and from other professional sports leagues can be suspended or can get suspended uh, because of their domestic abuse allegations and their misconduct then i think they have every reason to sort of restrict him from playing um now again like i want to be honest with you i still believe in the in the judicial system i still believe in the courts i believe in innocent until, until proven guilty i don't know what it's like in germany maybe it's different maybe it's not But I still believe in the court system. I still believe in the judicial system. I still believe in due process. I think people should get their say in the matter. I think people should, we should listen to both sides of the situation and not just take one side for granted or just take one side and neglect the other. I think it's important to at least hear out all individuals in this matter because, again, there have been plenty of times, and I want to make this clear, and again, I want to make this, you know, I want to be very clear careful when I say this, because obviously I know people sort of misconstrue my argument and say it other ways, but I do want to say that you, we have to listen to all situations and all sides, because there are some times where they're completely right, you know, I mean, when you listen to like Harvey Weinstein or like James Franco or, um, you know, <laughs> you know, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, when you hear these accusations, it's like, oh, yeah, that's probably true. But on the flip side to it, there are have there have been accusations where it's like, okay, where is this going? From? Where where is this coming from? You know, Louis C.K., Aziz Ansari, like these are the situations where I'm like, okay, this is the. In my opinion, this is like, not really Me Too worthy. Like the Me Too movement, while it had its, while there were moments where I understood where where it was coming from. There are also moments where I'm like, okay, this is just for expediency. This is just for cachet. This is just to build up your own profile and to sort of brand yourself as like this person that can be like equitable or marketable towards Hollywood and towards the establishment. That's what I view certain parts of the Me Too movement of. You know, people that are just cashing in and just finding ways to sort of pivot into their next grift. And that's what the Me Too movement as of today is it's a lot of people that are just trying to cash in and people that don't really ha- care about you know the overall accusations they're just caring about their own bread they're only caring about their own ways as to how they can sort of make it and I think that's a very sort of dark and twisted path that we're going on I'm not saying that you know she's lying or anything like that you know obviously uh, I want to be clear on this I think we should hear out all si- all sides of the story all situations because again Whenever you have domestic abuse or any sort of accusation like this, um, it's important to at least hear out each and every scenario before we just make up, you know, like before we just pick a side, you know. So, again, I wanna, I wanna, you know, be clear on this. You know, when I see Sasha Zvirov on court and when I see his temper tant- tantrums, I'm like, okay, uh, this is not, this isn't, if I'm building a case, if I'm the prosecutor, like his temper tantrums on court probably don't do him well in, in in the actual court of 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 the judicial court of the judiciary system like 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 understand that like like again like i want to be honest here i want to be you know again like again domestic abuse should should not be tolerated whatsoever you know i don't want anybody to think that i'm for domestic abuse at all depending on the women no i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm I'm kidding i'm a comedian again uh no, again like uh, listen Zverev. i understand why people are going after him and if you are not a fan of Zverev, that's completely fine you know I, I don't begrudge you that i don't think you're in the wrong for not b- being a fan of Zverev. Uh, but again, I think it's very, very important that we all hear all sides to the situation before we just make up our mind on it. And I think Ben Rothenberg had the right to put a, put his article underneath it and just let it be there. You know, I don't think the Labor Cup is doing any credit to themselves by just blocking Ben Rothenberg's article. And apparently Sasha Zverev's team is now scrubbing the article from the Internet, which I don't think that's a good thing either, because that just builds the case that you actually did do these crimes and these nefarious activities which i don't want to believe but if you're scrubbing articles from the internet that's not a good sign i mean that's clearly like if if you're scrubbing articles from the internet especially like from like somebody's testimony or somebody's like actual if your accuser is like saying that this is what happened and you're scrubbing articles away from the internet because of what your accuser said that's not a good look whatsoever now, if you want to sue her for defamation of character and whatnot, then I guess. I, I mean, if you're speaking with lawyers and whatnot. But, like, if you're scrubbing articles away from the internet because of this, not a good look whatsoever. So, again, like, I think the Labor Cup, I think they're trying to save face. I think they're trying to, like, help out the brand because at the end of the day, they just they just care about corporate sponsors and whatnot. I mean, the Labor Cup does not get the ratings of, say, any major... So they're just trying to save face or just trying to build up the brand, get Rolex and whatnot to still ride with them. I mean, Rolex is, I mean, Sasha Zverev got a Rolex deal after his accusations, which I mean, I don't know if I would do that if I was Rolex. If I really cared about prestige and class and the importance of value of players and being able to sort of win and lose and carry yourself with grace. I don't know if I would sort of put Sasha Zverev as my, like, dude, but it's whatever. I mean, listen, Labor Cup is in the wrong for doing this. I'm with Ben Rothenberg here, uh, and I'm with all the Reddit users as well. Uh, Reddit army, let, let's go. <laughs> but again, I, I want to make this clear as well. You know, I think we need to hear out the other side of the story as well, and um, understand due process, and understand that there's still a lot more that needs to be at least done, you know. Again, I'm against domestic abuse, you know, I feel like I don't have to explain myself when I say that, Uh, but at the same time, we have to hear out all sides. I'm sorry, because it can go like Louis C.K., you know. Like, he asked for, like, Louis C.K. asked for consent before he could wank his dick off in front of women, and those women that accused him of wanking his dick uh, did not, give that information out they didn't specify that he asked for consent you know and that Aziz Ansari article I'm sorry like I was with Aziz as I read through the article like again just want to make that clear Uh, all right let's get into the final bit of news tennis news that we can get into for today Andy Murray versus Ugo Humbert so if you guys don't know Andy Murray beat Ugo Humbert 4-6-6-3-6-2 in three sets Best out of three. Obviously, that's what happens when you're watching an ATP, ATP 250, ATP 500 event. And by, the, I just want to say this: Andy Murray, as I've said in countless podcasts before, he's my favorite dude. Like he's the person that inspired me to play tennis, to perform tennis. So I have a lot of love and appreciation for him. And obviously, I had to watch that match yesterday because of my love for Andy Murray. Andy Murray was amazing. <laughs> like, he was amazing. Like, understand that this is a person that has had metal, that right now has a metal hip and is playing a top 20 player named Ugo Humbert, who, by the way, has won the Halle Open against Andre Rublev. Again, he's no joke. He won the Hala Open. Like, this man is, like, an amazing tennis player. And the fact that Andy Murray was able to beat Andre, uh, Ugo Humbert. That's impeccable, and that was incredible, amazing, and I truly, truly appreciated this match because it just shows that when Andy Murray is on, and I actually tweeted this out yesterday. Go follow me on Twitter. Uh, If you want to read a suicide note, uh, go follow me on Twitter. But when Andy Murray is on, he is borderline untouchable. When Andy Murray is doing well, very few people can beat him. Obviously, you know, the Novaks and the Rafas and uh, those people, you know, they can beat him because they're obviously gods to, to any tennis player on the court. But Andy Murray, when he is on, no one can touch him. He is a person that has some of the best baseline play you'll ever see, some of the best aces you'll ever see, and has some of the best drop shots and lobs you'll ever see. You know, this is a person that's very tactical. And and can understand the faults and the weaknesses of his of his opponent and can really exploit that to the best of his ability. And that is what Andy Murray did against Ugo Humbert, was that even though he lost in that first set, he still made the correct adjustments and the correct audibles to sort of change his path and to get victory and, and to ensure him, to ensure himself victory on that path. So Andy Murray did exceptionally well in this match. And you saw it in that third set when he was able to broke when he was able to break Humbert twice early on early on in that third set. That was the inclination that gave you the inclination that Andy Murray could beat Ugo Humbert and that it would sway his way. Now I don't know what's next for Andy Murray again. It's the Moselle Open, so I'm very sorry if 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 I don't know who's he who he's playing against. But again, like ATP should do a better job in terms of covering this uh because again like I, I did not see anybody really talk about it on, on twitter i know i mentioned twitter a lot but it beg, it uh, twitter is such an it, it's like now ingrained in tennis now like you you need to focus on twitter and allocate yourself on twitter to really get a better glimpse and a better picture as to what's happening in the tennis world so Andy murray beat ugo humbert um and ugo humbert saved getting bagel with like a semi volley for a winner in the third set. I think it was like 4-1, it went on to changeover, it went into changeover. But he was like right near the baseline, had like this sort of volley as Andy Murray approached the net, and he was just able to find an open open place, open area, where he could just dump it off and get the winner. So obviously Hugo Humbert is very much strategic in his, in his ball placement and whatnot, but that's not the story for today. The story for today is Andy Murray. And his success of the Moselle Open and for beating Ugo Humbert. And again, you know, people may, you know, question Ugo Humbert. Obviously, he lost to uh, Nick Kyrios in that first round. But still, when Ugo Humbert does well, he is a sight to see that that Frenchman is very good. Like, again, like Ugo Humbert is a great player. Now, do I think he'll win a major in the future? Probably not. You know, uh, I, I think you'll see a very similar trajectory of that of, say, like, Ferrer, maybe. Maybe David Ferrer. I don't know. I, th- I think they have a very similar, like, build. Um, but at the same time, Ugo Humbert is a good player. And a win against him is a good win nonetheless. Nevertheless, nonetheless, whoever is beating him. So, again, Andy Murray beats Ugo Humbert 4-6, 6-3, 6-2. I'm excited to see what's going to happen for Andy Murray, honestly. Like, I think this is a person that... Again, it bears repeating, a metal hip. He's playing with a metal hip, with a metal rod. And he's still doing well. And he's still finding ways to succeed and to win. Some people think he's a top 20 player and, and, and can reach the quarterfinals and semifinals. I would have believed that like maybe three, four months ago. But now I think that's a little too much. I think you're putting too much pressure on Andy Murray. Uh, I think the day, the best days of Andy Murray are behind him. It pains me to say this as an Andy Murray fan, but I think people need to realize that. You know, the, the best days of him are probably between the years of 2015, 2016. I know 2017, that's when things were a little bit dicey with him with, with those surgeries. But again, understand that Andy Murray is still good. And again, when he's on... The, the, you you can see the fire in his eyes. You can see the the fire in his heart. And when you had that much passion for the game at that age, I mean, we've seen that throughout not only in tennis but also with other sports as well. You know, when you see Brady succeed at the age of 44, when you see all these other tennis all these other athletes still being able to succeed at that old of an age, it real it makes you realize that you can't measure motivation you can't measure somebody's heart you can't measure you know what makes a person motivated and competitive you know regardless of your age regardless of your profession like you can measure somebody's will uh willingness to succeed when the lights and when the chips are against them you know it's it's one of those things where they're built like sociopaths, you know, Like they really are, you know, you really need to have like this so, sort of sociopathic behavior to yourself. If you want to succeed at that old age, you know, add that old an old of an age. And I think Annie Murray, we're seeing this with Annie Murray, we're seeing this with Roger Federer, we're seeing this with Novak Djokovic, where they still have that chip on their shoulder, they still have that desire to succeed and to really shine when the lights are at their brightest. So I think that's where I'll leave it off with Andy Murray. Andy Murray is a great tennis player. And, you know, his influence on tennis will forever be there. You know, I know he's not with the big three and whatnot. I know people like to sort of chastise him and not really... And sort of view him as an outcast to, you know, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. But Andy Murray... It's the little things that make you realize that Andy Murray is one of the best players to ever play tennis. And to ever pick up a racket. And you, you got a glimpse yesterday... When he faced off against Hugo Humbert, so yeah, I mean that's just my overall thoughts on Andy Murray, uh, great tennis player and, and one of the one of the best of all time. So in my in my opinion, one of the the best. <laughs> like he's my f- personal favorite, you know. So uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way uh, with Andy Murray. So all right, so we. Talked about tennis for about like 30 minutes or so, um, which is good. That's good. Let's get into news outside of the tennis world. Beto O'Rourke is running for Texas governor. So it's running for Texas governor. So Axios on over the weekend. Again, I didn't cover this over the weekend, so I'll I'll talk about it today. Axios reports that Beto O'Rourke will be running for governor in 2022. Um, Bad idea, Beto. I mean, you're a loser. You lost to Ted Cruz. In 2018 I would say uh, for the senator seat uh, and by the way you had all the money going to you all of the funding went to Beto O'Rourke you had celebrities supporting this basically a centrist candidate I mean Beto O'Rourke tries to act like he's this punk dude that he's like the socialist commie kind of individual he's not he's like as neoliberal as they get he's as he's as corporatist as they get he's married to a woman who is part of this bougie family that is essentially the richest family in El Paso, Texas. And his real name, I just found out, is not Beto. It's Robert Francis O'Rourke. He named himself Beto to get the Hispanic vote. How idiotic can you be? I mean, how thirsty can you be for voters and for people to support you by naming yourself Beto like like how corny is that to name yourself Beto just because you want to get the Hispanic vote? like is like come on like most latinos latinas i don't know if latinx but because what i'm about to say latinx people probably won't wouldn't support it but most latinos and latinas aren't aren't in support of democrats they're just they just aren't because republicans can view democrats and say oh that's socialism you know that's that's communism and that's similar to that of cuba i know it's mostly mexicans that live in texas cubans live in florida but I mean, there's a lot of Mexicans that aren't in favor of Democrats, and part of it is because of they believe that Democrats, you know, are, and this is based off Republican messaging, and that's why Republican messaging is way more effective than that of Democrat messaging of like a Democrat candidate. But they are of the opinion, most Latino Latinas are of the opinion that Democrats can handle immigration, you know, and that's on democrats as well because democrats are very blind with like their view on immigration they view immigration as like a net positive and with like no sort of negative whatsoever and again like we can discuss the semantics to their argument like we can discuss like as to how different democrats are with republicans when it comes to the immigration when it comes to the border crisis and whatnot at the same and at the end of the day they're all no different they all value uh, corporate interest and corporate oligarch measures and whatnot. So at the end of the day, they're all doing the bidding of billionaires. So there's no difference between Republicans or Democrats when it comes to the border wall, or when it comes to the border crisis, or when it comes to immigration. They're all, they're all. It's tomato to tomato. It's no difference between Republicans and Democrats. They both do a piss poor job at it, but Republicans do a better job when it comes to messaging, when it comes to immigration, and getting Latinos, Latinas to support their base because of immigration. Because, again, people don't realize that immigration hurts the labor market, you know, when you flood the labor market and and sort of make it so big to the point where it depreciates wages, it does not bode well for American workers. And I think um, a lot of people, especially Latinos, Latinas, understand that, you know, people within that community understand uh, the grossness of that. So, again, I don't know why Beto O'Rourke is running for governor. Um And again, he's running against Greg Abbott, right? Conservatives like Greg Abbott and understandably so. I mean, he's against the lockdowns. He's been against restrictions. Again, I don't think people realize the economical and psychological effects that the lockdowns have had on working class people. And he understands that he understands that the lockdowns have been a death sentence for a lot of people that are just trying to get by and Greg Abbott, while I don't really like him, I mean, he's too much of a shill for Israel. Uh, he threatened to, like, ban parlor because of, like, anti-Semitic messaging, which, like, again, obviously, anti-Semitism is bad. I want to make that clear. Uh, but, again, like, you can find anti-Semitism anywhere. Like, it's on every platform. To, to ban parlor just for that, I mean, that shows that, like, you, you're sort of a, a shill for Israel. And, like, apparently, like, contract workers in Texas have to sign, like, a pledge to Israel before they work. Like, before they get a job. Before they get a job, they have to, like, sign a pledge to Israel that they'll do what's in what's best for Israel and whatnot. And that's in Texas. So, again, like, like it's a hit or miss with Greg Abbott. Like, Greg Abbott, good on the lockdowns, I would say, but also uh, pretty bad when it comes to, like, other things. Not just with the, you know, with what he's doing and with, like... You know, with what he's doing with contract workers, but also uh, just the infrastructure or lack thereof of infrastructure that's in Texas right now. Uh, apparently, he he like blamed the power grid on like the Green New Deal or whatnot. What's the Green New Deal is not in Texas, but hey, whatever floats Greg Abbott's boat. Honestly, I think this will be a failure on Beto O'Rourke. And by the way, like I want to make this like clear, like the people that are in favor of Beto O'Rourke. They're not like twenty-something-year-olds that don't have health insurance and want health insurance. That that's not Beto O'Rourke's base. It's white affluent liberals that are within the Austin area or within the Houston-Dallas metropolitan area that are doing exceptionally well, and those are the people that Beto O'Rourke goes after, right? Like even though he may have messaging like that's like for the people, by the people, and whatnot, and kumbaya, all that. Like, his base still remains the same. It's still people who live in Austin, Dallas, you know, Houston that, you know, sort of are neoliberal or sort of left of center, but are not in favor of, like, sort of Bernie Sanders-like policies or left-wing populist policies. They're in favor of a more sort of establishment, you know, face, but with a prettier face on it. You know, they like what's going on in Texas, they just want what a prettier face on it, and, you know, have a better infrastructure, I would say. like That's what they want, I would assume, you know, I don't know, I, I'm not a rich person whatsoever. At the end of the day, like, rich people will always find ways to offshore their accounts and not pay their taxes, so they really do not care as to whether it's Beto, whether it's, you know... Greg Abbott, whether it's Matthew McConaughey, because at the end of the day, they're going to find ways to cheat the system. I mean, that, that's what billionaires are going to do. That's what the rich people are always going to do. They're always going to find ways to offshore their taxes, which in certain issues, in certain instances, I get. In certain instances, I don't get. But that's what it is. Beto O'Rourke running for Texas governor. I don't think it will be successful whatsoever. Um, if prior outcome is any indication on future success then Beto O'Rourke will not be successful whatsoever. Uh, so again, just want to keep that out there. Um, honestly, like I feel like Beto O'Rourke, all his steam left when Pete Buttigieg ran. Like I feel I felt like when Pete Buttigieg ran, that's when Beto O'Rourke, all his steam, it just popped out like a balloon because Pete Buttigieg is no different than that of Beto O'Rourke. Like he's the same sort of corporatist individual that does the bidding for billionaires, that, you know, is a little bit more of a prettier face than that of Beto O'Rourke. You know, a person that, you know, served in the military, you know, was gay. So it gives them a little bit of a leeway to sort of make that as a face of their coalition, I would say. So again, I feel like all that steam popped off or popped out when he ran for president and when he got none of the votes. Like, like, Beto O'Rourke was polling at, like, 0% in the polls. I'm like, Beto, what are you doing? Why are you still in this race? You're like, like, all of these people are just taking, are just siphoning votes off of you. Like, it's embarrassing. Drop out. You offer no difference as opposed to all the other, you know, chuds out there that the DNC put out there just to thwart Bernie out of the stage or just to thwart Tulsi and Yang off the stage. So, again, you know, Beto is... Running for Texas governor, and honestly, like I wonder what's going to happen with him, because uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to do well. I think Matthew McConaughey has has a good shot. You know, don't sleep on my boy Matthew McConaughey. Actually, like if he if he's running for Texas governor, I'm supporting him. You know, I'm giving him my full fledged endorsement. Andre Tucker is endorsing Matthew McConaughey because we're at the end of the American Empire. Let's let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy the failure of not the failure but the downsides of our empire which is having celebrities run because there's there's no difference between like a celebrity running and somebody who went to a private Ivy League school that did army for like 2 3 years and is a part of the CIA who's now running for governor and is now running for president there's no difference between the two okay they have the same intellect they really do like actors and Celebrities have no like they, their understanding of politics is probably better than that of your average politician. Honestly, I'm honestly saying that. So, anyways, uh, let's get into the next topic. All right, we're doing okay on time. All right, let's get into Joy Reid going after Gabby Petito. All right, so Joy Reid went after the media on Tuesday, I would say. Uh, no, not Tuesday, Monday. Uh, Monday, Joy Reid went after the media for a coverage of Gabby. T- Gabby Petito's murder and for her going missing and she was basically saying how they're prioritizing the media is prioritizing Gabby Petito's murder and you know her sort of uh, media coverage over that of people of color, black and brown people who go missing on a routine basis that often don't uh, get covered and she dubs it as white women's syndrome and this is the thing a lot of people were going out to Joy Reid, and honestly, rightfully so. I think it was uncalled for. Part of the reason as to why I believe it was, it was uncalled for was because Joy Reid, Joy Reid is a part of the media. She, I mean, think about it. She is a part of the media, and she's, she has the gall to criticize the media for for covering Gabby Petito, which I understand like, why people would criticize the media, don't get me wrong, but she says that it's prioritizing she, her, that the murder of Gabby Petito is being prioritized over that of black and brown people. And she said, it's the media's fault for doing that. I'm like, joy read, you are the media. You have time to cover people of color that go missing, but you don't because it doesn't generate traffic. It doesn't generate views. And you know that because you cover sensationalized crap that, you know, is often lends itself to the culture war. And that's what your show is. It's it's covering culture war esque topics, to essentially, you know, bolster up your base and to get people on Twitter to like the the liberal deranged people on Twitter to like support you and to actively follow your show. And Joy Reid, I mean, the the cognitive dissonance that you must have to criticize the media, but then you yourself are not beholden to that same step or to that same like rule that you've set in place. It's just fascinating to see. And that's what Joy Reid did on Monday is not hold herself to the same standard that she has for other people in the media. And this is there's this thing. Where, this is the thing that I've seen from MSNBC. Rachel Maddow has decided to leave her show. And now she signed her deal with M- N- NBC. And now she's you know, making millions of dollars doing NBC work and whatnot. And MSNBC... Obviously, their ratings have been down. Even with Rachel Maddow, Rachel Maddow on the network, their ratings have been abysmal. And they want somebody to generate views, to generate traffic, to generate attention, because we do live in a in an attention economy. They want somebody to generate views and attention. So what's what what do they do? What do they do? They have Joy Reid go on and criticize a person that went missing and probably was murdered. in is murdered as we can tell in the past two three days after the news dropped that she was murdered and that's what they want to do that's what they that's what msnbc wants to do they want to get attention for the sake of getting attention and that's what they did they threw poop against the they threw poop against the wall saw what stuck and this is what stuck and honestly like that's the thing about news is that they have no care in the world for covering anything substantial or substantive right like understand that like when this gabby petito news came out like israel was building a dome like with our taxpayer money like again like there are far more important things to worry about and to focus on than say this news or this piece of news like we're still in wars currently that we've been fighting for over the past 20 or so years we're still in the war in iraq there are far more important things to cover about than any of this that's going on obviously it stinks you know don't get me wrong uh you know gabby petito should not have been murdered whatnot um you know I, I want to give my condolences to that family but again there are far more important things that are going on than joy reed and gabby petito and honestly that's the thing is that joy reed is just one of these, those individuals that just wants attention for the sake of attention and any, any traffic that goes to her way she i mean that's what she values and Obviously, that's not good whatsoever, because it, it's a piss poor job from the media if that's all they're tr- trying to do. If that's all that they're trying to do is just get eyeballs to the product and not actively cover the news, then that just shows that there are better ways to get your sort of news, you know. And Joy reads uh, one of the reasons as to why the media isn't where it's at right now, you know, because believe me, like she does not have clean hands. You know like we can go back to her articles that she wrote in the early 2000s and and see like the the bad things that she said about immigration uh you know like because she's had a lot of bad articles on immigration so again joy reed going after gabby petito it was uncalled for and honestly like i wouldn't expect anything less from her or anything more or anything much from her honestly at this point so again just my opinion yeah, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really care about the Gabby Petito case until I saw the body cam footage, you know, because a lot of things are petite, none of it were her, none of, none of it was her body <laughs> at all, like, I mean, that's, that like, she's, thick. like, yeah, after that, I'm like, oh, no, we gotta, we gotta look for this woman, you know, forget it, I'm, I was a little bit ambivalent on the case, I'm like, ah, uh, whatever, it's like, whatever, I don't care, honestly, like, I got to focus on me, you know, not on this person that took a camping trip and decided to get lost. Not on my fault, not my fault, you know, not on my fault that he decided to live in a, in an "e pray, love scenario. But hey, like one, once I saw the body cam footage, I'm like, okay, I, we got to find this woman. We got to do everything we got to do. We got to find any which way to find this woman. <laughs> that's what I truly believed after that. Uh, so yeah, that's my opinion on it. All right, let's get into the final topic of today. Daniel Craig. Uh, gave his remarks on James Bond, and I actually thought this was important to at least point out and discuss. So Daniel Craig stated, uh, somebody asked him about, like, James Bond being played by a, pe- by a person of color, by a woman of color, by anybody that's not a straight white male. And uh, Daniel Craig actually gave a, a pretty sort of clear answer on this. It was obviously taking that out of context because why wouldn't they? It's the media. Uh, but Daniel Craig said that the answer to that is very simple. He said, there should be simply be better parts for women and actors of color. Why should a woman play James Bond when there should be a part just as good as James Bond, but for a woman? And obviously they took this out of context. And this is the thing with this. I think Daniel Craig is right on James Bond and a lot of people don't want to hear it. You know, I'll be honest with you. A lot of people don't. And I understand where people are coming from when they say, uh, that Daniel Craig is wrong, but in my opinion, I think he's wrong right on James Bond because when you look at James Bond, he's not a person that you want to idolize, right? He's a deeply flawed individual, right? He's like James Bond, while he may wear the nice suits and may wear, uh, you know, a nice Omega watch or whatnot and may drive an Aston Martin and may, you know, casually ask for a martini shake and not stir it, And yeah, while on the surface, he looks like a very sort of ideal character i would say and while a lot of people like myself love james bond even though i'm not white uh newsflash i'm not white uh i loved watching casino royale and specter and whatnot but when you look at james bond you're like you're like oh no this is a person that people should gawk at this is a person that you know people should sort of make fun of you know like the part of the reason why james bond is such a great character is because underneath all the sort of uh, you know, fashion and all, 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 all beneath all the professionalism is a, is a sense of a person that's a deeply disinterested character, a person that you don't want to see or even really want to talk to, honestly. And that's what I feel about with most people, honestly. Like, I don't want to talk to most people. You know, like when I look at James Bond, it's like, oh, this is a person that carries himself professionally, but a person that would be a pain to really sit with and have a conversation with. And more importantly, he is a person that even though like people sort of idolize, he's, he's not something that we should like sort of aspire to be. Like he's not a person that people should like care to be. And I feel like for a lot of people from different cultures, like w- we were grown up to be very different than that of James Bond. You know, we were not taught to be like, you know, this womanizing person that, you know, you know, finds every which way to like, you know, put... Each and every day, into like a life or death scenario, you know, we value stability and security. I mean, that's what people of color, I mean, that's what people from diverse cultures are tend to be taught, you know, to value stability and security and to do things that can help out your family and whatnot. And James Bond is not a person that really values that. So, to, to the idea that women of color or people of color can play James Bond's character, I think it would be very sort of artificial and not in my opinion, not as natural as, say, like, a person of who's white can play or, like, a cisgender white male can play, you know? So I think Daniel Craig is right on this, you know? And when he says that when uh, why should a woman play James Bond when there should be a part just as good as James Bond, I actually really took this to heart because, like, I don't know if you guys watched Tenet. If you guys did watch Tenet, you know, maybe leave a comment down below, say how you felt about Tenet. But John David Washington's character... Plays a very similar role to James Bond, but it works out because J- John David Washington uh, understood the role, understood uh, what was given to him, the lines and whatnot, and played it to the best of his ability while adhering to uh, what made that character so great in the first place. And I think more and more people should sort of value that as well. You know, being able to play a character that can stand on its own two feet, can have some, you know, sort of a, re- a relatability aspect to it and Tenet as a result was one of the best movies of 2020. So I think he's right when it, when he says that there should be other sort of roles that can sort of stand on its own and can get people to talk and to get people interested and engaged what you know what they have to say and what the movie has to say. You know, so again like for the people that are going up to Daniel Craig for saying this, I think they're misconstruing his point and more importantly, I feel like To put anybody in james bond situation that's a person of color i don't think it's i think it's doing a disservice to not only the character but also to a person who's acting because again like their situation the the way that they grew up is entirely different than that of say like i don't know a person of who's like you know know, who lives like an affluent lifestyle you know and who like like daniel craig like i don't know his lifestyle but it seems like he grew up in a well to do family it seems like he went to like the best acting schools imaginable the best drama schools imaginable in london so again like to have like a person of color in that role i don't think it's i don't think it's doing a good job in terms of representing what that actor had to go through and you know the people that had to like sort of put themselves in that scenario so again i think people are sort of misconstruing his argument and more importantly i think there are other ways where like we can sort of step up, or like find other ways to just make great art in, in and of itself. Because at the end of the day, like I just value great art. That's all I. That's all I value. You know. All right, so that's about it. I don't know why I gave that prolonged pause. Uh, all right, guys. I think that's all the time I have for today, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below also make sure you check out my podcast clips channel my podcast channel subscribe to both of them as well make sure you rate review subscribe on itunes and also if you're on whatsapp make sure you spread the whatsapp uh, make sure you spread the word on whatsapp as well get people talking get people engaged Uh, other than that that's all the time i have for you today guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening uh see you guys on tuesday i'll talk about the moselle open and also things that are happening With our political and societal culture as well. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you guys on Tuesday. All right, guys. Peace. See y'all.